Hello, dear listener, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Asher Simpson about corporate fundraising. We speak about how charities can develop new relationships with companies and turn them into corporate partners who can add value to the work of charities in a variety of ways, including fundraising. We speak about the value that charities can bring to corporate partners, specifically talking about how ethically minded companies are looking to meet the expectations and demands of their consumers and the charity's role in helping to do that. As usual, Asher and I spoke in a fairly noisy cafe, which is the charity chat way, so forgive us any background noise, and do sit back and enjoy the show. Here we go. So Asher Simpson, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, we're talking today about corporate fundraising, and uh, for a lot of charities, that'll be a big part of what they do. For some charities, that, they won't be doing that at all. Yeah. Um, so why should charities consider corporate fundraising, and how can they bring this into their strategy? Uh, well, I think that <clears throat> aside from traditional revenue streams, corporate fundraising offers quite a diverse range of benefits for a charity. So as well as, obviously, fundraising and income, um, the way that corporate fundraising is being approached is totally evolving, and especially over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, whereas previously a lot of charities um, may have focused on charity of the year relationships, where a company will raise lots of money for one individual charity, I think now they're starting to think more about strategic long-term relationships. So, um, when a company will share the same values as that charity, or uh, give specific skills which might otherwise not be accessible to, to the charity. Sure, sure. And is it? I mean, is it a case of can can charities just go to uh, to companies and say we're a charity? Can you help us? Is, is it as simple as that? Yeah, I think probably the best way for a charity to approach a company is just to think about, um, as I was saying, what their values are, mm-hmm. and then maybe look at the sector and see companies that have got. Um, shared values yeah. and then the best way to approach them is if you have some sort of warm connection so um, I work for Mind for example uh, we have a, a board of trustees a lot of them are very well connected and most charities will have a very well connected board of trustees and so I really think that the, probably the best way to, for a charity to approach corporates is through that warm uh, sector of people that already right, know okay. about because that's the low hanging fruit I suppose yeah. isn't it and, yeah. uh, I'm trying to kind of uh, break your neck calling up because I mean that's something that I've, I've seen in the past you know and I've heard of it in the past where, co- where charities will just they'll cold call X number of companies and, and ask you know we're a charity will you support us but yeah. that probably doesn't work so well yeah. given there's so many charities out there and, and companies becoming more professional about how they yeah. how they how they deal with charities and also I think that charities you know um, for various reasons have been getting a bit of a bad name for themselves mm-hmm. uh, you know perhaps um acting a little bit too much like a corporate in the sense of you know cold calling and yeah. um and playing it like a numbers game sure um i think i think the difficulty is being under resourced and finding that time to be able to carve out time to think strategically mm-hmm. to write up a prospect list to yeah. research it do your due diligence, um, qualify it, make the approach, because obviously you do have a very strong commitment to the donor, and you're always thinking, um, am I spending time 
as effectively as I possibly sure, can. Sure. And so it's very easy to kind of get stuck in a hamster wheel of, of kind of passive approaches. Mm. But it really is very important to carve out that time if possible because that is, I think, where there's real value, when you can think strategically and create a partnership which has shared value beyond just um, a very simple two-dimensional fundraising partnership. Yeah. We know that you know, the huge majority of charities are, are going to be small charities that are raising less than £500,000 a year, yeah. so they've got small teams, and as you say, putting their time and effort into corporate fundraising as opposed to other forms of fundraising, and I suppose that kind of weighing up where should we put our resource and, and where should we put it into to corporate fundraising. So, I mean, should, should charities be making decisions based on contact audits or whatever you'd call it, where they're looking at who they've got on board already and, and what networks those people have with companies? Yeah, perhaps. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're right. It is difficult for small charities to make sure that they're um, spending resources in the right way. A lot of small charities, you know, are very reluctant to uh, invest money in a dedicated fundraising resource in general. And sure. especially, you know, even medium-sized charities um, when they have corporate fundraising, they don't have a split team of new business and, um, and account management. They will have a kind of um, a joint approach. Yeah. But I do think that when you, you, if you, if you do have the ability to kind of carve out a, a specific team towards new business, that's when you will start seeing um, more of a diverse range of opportunities with your corporate partners. So new business, how would you define developing yeah. new business, I suppose? Well, I think that there's probably two different, uh, quite different types of people actually who work in corporate partnerships. Um, certainly, um, in my experience, people who work in account management tend to be, um, you know, um, perhaps in some cases more uh, process driven, um, good at building long-term relationships, empathetic, understanding of their partners yeah. on a very deep level yeah. and good at building those personal relationships as well, good at understanding um, the aims and, and um, wider drivers of, of a specific um, sure. corporate partner. Whereas I think in new business, and uh, you were saying earlier about how you know, sometimes it's difficult for you to stay stuck on one thing for a long period of time, and certainly for me, I, um, I find the same. I think in new business you kind of perhaps need a different mindset. You need to, to be able to um, wear a lot of different hats. Yeah. This morning I was speaking to um, a very well-known bank, and then within half an hour I was speaking to a very well-known uh, sports apparel supplier. Right, and, okay. and so the, the difference in tone and the difference in those conversations is just so stark. And you need to be able to think very uh, quickly and very strategically about how they could potentially benefit the charity, yeah. you know, what um, particular services you might be able to fund um, that would be relevant to that audience. Um, and I think that that kind of thinking is, is just a little bit different. And with those calls that you had today, for example, did you have a kind of a clear idea in your head when you spoke to them what you were going, what you were asking them to do, or was it more of a kind of a a teasing kind of out some ideas from them how, how yeah. what's that kind of give and take the... right yeah there is a bit of give and take yeah. um, and so I guess I'm in the very fortunate position that I've been at um, my charity for a couple of years now because um, mind is very big and very diverse and we have such a wide variety of services that we offer to people I mean our audience is very uh, very much a broad church as well um, and so I'm able to draw on that experience you know quite easily um, aside from that, I, as I was saying to you earlier, I 
I would teach Tai Chi and Kung Fu and um, I learned that off my father and he would yeah. always say when you teach a class you don't need to do any preparation because it totally depends the, the class you deliver totally depends on the people that turn up oh, okay. um, and it's kind of the same with new business your approach totally depends um, obviously it's tailored to the charity you're working for but it yeah. totally depends on the people you're speaking to sure. and so if you're speaking to you know a physical physical activity company then you need to speak about um, getting people with mental health problems into into physical activity with our get set to go project for example or if you're talking to a bank you're going to be talking to them about how they're safeguarding their customers mm. so that at crisis point if they can identify that they, there is a, a, a problem or a mental health problem whatever it is um, that they're being properly supported right, okay. and a lot of other charities have, have um, done e excellent work actually it demonstrates very well the broad nature of corporate partnerships and how they can benefit charities mm. beyond just fundraising a lot of charities have done very very successful campaigns with I think it was British Gas and, and yeah. Sargent yeah. with their campaign to lift their customers out of uh, financial hardship when, when they receive a diagnosis. Yeah. There's as Network well as Rail and Samaritans, that's yeah. one that I remember seeing, yeah. that's great. As you say, that kind of finding that synergy with the mission of the organisation and the mission of the charity and yeah. the, work of the work of both. Yeah. I feel very fortunate working in the type of corporate fundraising I do work in. Um, commercial partnerships specifically is very niche. Um, you know, this area of corporate fundraising is just kind of taken off though. And I think it's um, partly to do with the fact that you have a um, uh, audience of consumers these days, a modern audience of consumers that are much more demanding mm. of, of corporates in general. And so no more are functional benefits enough in order to sell a product, right. you know, the best shampoo, the best face wash, whatever it is. I think more and more, and especially millennial consumers tapped into as much information as they like at their fingertips. Um, they're demanding, yeah, okay, so you make profit, but what else do you do? Sure. And so charities can step in at that point in order to broaden uh, that narrative of a brand, give it a social purpose. Right, okay. Um, Unilever, for example, recently um, published a report which said that now 70% of their overall brand growth comes from the brands that have a social purpose. Really? Yeah, they grow at, um, I think it was 50% faster than um, brands which just rely on functional benefits for sale. Wow. And so I think that really indicates um, an opportunity for brands to uh, have a bit more of a reason for consumers to buy their product. Yeah. And when you do commercial partnerships with a charity, um, I think about eight or nine times out of ten, a consumer will pick the product which is aligned with the cause they believe in. Right. Yeah. And so, as, you know, there are benefits, there are commercial benefits for the, for the companies as well. Challenges of your role. I think the main challenges are the perception of charities as um, purely beneficiaries of fundraising, right. um, rather than as uh, commercial partners in their own right. Okay. But increasingly, as well as being aligned for brand purposes, there are so many other benefits as well. Yeah. Um, so at Mind, we recently ran a campaign with Wagamama. I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah. It's in January and February. Um, so on the surface, it was just selling uh, their juice uh, and in aid of mind and it's 25p per sale and they raised 25,000 pounds wow. but I know um, through their feedback that they were looking to increase the dwell time of their customers for that point uh, for January and February and so what we did was um, we developed a kind of mindful colouring interaction with their customers and so we, we relied on our knowledge of a fundraising product called Craft Moon and we rolled that out 
um, across the whole of the nation. And so customers went in, they took a moment for themselves, they did mindful colouring. It increased the amount of time they spent um, in Wagamama, which was great, because that's exactly what they wanted. Um, and it raised the profile of mind as well. Yeah. And raised a lot of money for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's so beneficial because charities never have money, to, or, or very small amount of charities have a lot of money to throw at marketing. You yeah. know, extending their brand, reaching new audiences. We uh, at Mind uh, have a core audience. Uh, the, the audience split is about seventy percent geared towards women, um, which is which is good. But we find it very difficult to talk to other other groups. Yeah. Um, in terms of your beneficiary group, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. So minority ethnic groups, yeah. uh, men in general, uh, Southeast Asian women, for example, we find it really, really difficult to speak to them about mental health. And so if there are any brands that we can ever partner with who uh, market specifically to that demographic, that's a real benefit to us. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, it goes both ways. Wow. And do you see that an overlap then between the kind of the, the success you have with corporate fundraising and the other types of fundraising that you do? I think when you, when you approach it strategically and think about um, brand values, that um, allows you to create long-term strategic partnerships. Sure. And so rather than being on this hamster wheel every year, writing applications, spending a lot of time, um, you know, sometimes being very successful and other times not, yeah. it allows you to uh, forge meaningful relationships with corporates, um, which are mutually beneficial and may last three, five, you know, sometimes ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that really unlocks a lot of potential for the charity and, and uh, and capacity as well. So not only is it you know, very beneficial from that standpoint, but also it's a completely unique revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, you're tap- especially in commercial fundraising, you're tapping into uh, marketing budgets, you're tapping into um, consumers who may not otherwise give um, due to maybe a lack of trust in the charity sector or whatever that is. Sure. Um, and so I think increasingly consumers do want to give in new and innovative ways. It's not as prevalent anymore where you have somebody giving maybe six pounds a month um, to their trusted charities for whatever reason. And so tapping into kind of like lifestyle giving um, allows you to harness people who normally maybe wouldn't give to charity. And so it's a unique revenue stream. There are a lot of very small charities out there and there might be people listening to this show who you know, are one-person operations or yeah. trustees in a, in a charity and they're volunteers. What would you say to them? I mean, we've, we've already talked a little bit about seeking the low-hanging fruit, the yeah. people that you already know, but what, what kind of steps would you go through if you were talking to a small charity right now about setting up or looking at setting up corporate fundraising? For a small charity which benefits the local community, I've seen some really innovative um, work from other organisations. Uh, there's one organisation, in order to harness local support, they create community centres. They've looked at, on a very granular level, the benefit that a community centre in a deprived community can have on the people that live there and on local businesses. And they are able to demonstrate you know, a 50% cut in um, antisocial behaviour, for example. Um, so what they do is they create a brand new charity, um, that's a, uh, an affiliate charity or, or whatever you want to call it, and then they ask local businesses, or sometimes nationals that have headquarters in the area, whether they want to be involved, and they demonstrate the impact that this community hub will have on, on their workforce, tangible outcomes. They invite them to be a part of the, the board of trustees for that specific charity in, in that area, and so they have uh, a real stake in the community and, and, in, and in the charity then. 
and through that they raise, I think it costs about 2.3 million pounds in order to, to create this community hub. Um, so I think there are really innovative ways you can engage with local businesses. Um, it's just, I guess, about uh, thinking about the specific challenges that are faced in that community and thinking about how your charity might have tangible benefits for those corporates. Ninety-two percent of corporates that partner with a charity partner with them for the brand. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So um, is that because their their organisation, the the powers that be, recognise that as a good fit, or is it the staff that have recognised that as a good fit? I think quite often, it, yeah, it's a dual benefit. They want to, with with regards to mental health. Um, I think it's increasingly important for an employer to show that they are interested in looking after the well-being of their staff, sure. both from a physical perspective but also from a mental well-being perspective. Yeah. Um, I think there's really been a step change in workplace well-being over the last um, five years or however long, um, partly as a result of mine's work. And that is that is one tangible benefit to partnering with, with somebody, somebody like an organisation like mine. Yeah. Um, I think there's also the benefit as we mentioned earlier, of uh, broadening the narrative from a consumer perspective. Yeah. Um, and so if they're able to partner with a well-known brand like mine, then it shows that um, they care about the issues which are facing, probably the largest issue that's facing our generation at the moment. I suppose that means, suggests that small charities are going to find it tougher to get a big corporate sponsor on board. That's true. I think, I think small charities that probably don't have as much brand presence probably do find it more challenging mm. but then in a lot of ways they are more nimble they can perhaps take more risks able to do really cutting edge yeah. kind of uh, marketing projects smaller brands probably you know don't have the same market share obviously but they do they are able to do more innovative targeted campaigns sure. because perhaps their target demographic themselves is, is more narrow and I suppose small charities just need to be able to measure expectations with you know, their trustees and, and, and maybe you know with their with their kind of CEOs about what is likely when they're approaching large companies. I know for example some large companies like Deutsche Bank I know have a very thorough process of applying for you know charity of the year and that, that can actually be quite expensive for small charities. Yeah. Um, it's quite a laborious resource heavy task just getting the vote. Um, and as you say, you know, I suppose for those charities that aren't as well known, when it comes to a, a very large thousands of employees voting for you, it's going to be those that are known, or maybe those that, you know, the, the, the kind of key message is very clear for all those employees to decide whether to vote for you or not. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think that the important thing is to embed fundraising at all levels of the charity, yeah. right down from um, the you know, support services who take the course to... Um, fundraising team, the service delivery team, right up onto the board of trustees and the board of directors, the CEO. And if you can do that, then I think even for a small charity, you're able to demonstrate how you can add value, how you can work with a corporate uh, in a, on a mature level, um, and hopefully win bigger partnerships and invest in fundraising. Because I think also a lot of small charities find it difficult to invest in a dedicated fundraising resource. Yeah. Um, but it's the case that any well-performing fundraising team will be generating five, five and a half times the amount you're investing in. And for our listeners, there's a very good charity chat podcast on investing in fundraising as well. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some charities that have benefited from 
having on the one hand um, staff in, in a company fundraising for them, this charity, but also being given, uh, especially small charities where maybe if it's a larger company, they've got experts in various departments in that company who have such expertise that this small charity of number of people, six, seven people, just doesn't have. You know, they've got a seven people that are kind of jack of all trades. And uh, then you've got this expertise in this company and they're offering that in terms of, uh, you know, whether it's management training, tips and advice, even HR functions. I've seen that working well as well. And for a small charity where they've maybe got a chief executive, a fundraiser, and maybe someone dealing with the projects, um, that's really valuable, isn't it? That, that uh, gift in kind. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, when we at Mind launched our workplace wellbeing index, it was only through the help of um, Deloitte that we were able to, uh, the, the pro bono help of Deloitte that we were able to launch that product. Yeah. Um, it was one of the largest partnerships we've ever had. And yet, it wasn't a fundraising partnership necessarily, it was more like a skill sharing partnership. Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, companies that have that expertise, whether it's in marketing, whether it's in um, as a creative agency or whatever, there's a lot that they can give beyond just money. Um, and a lot that a charity maybe couldn't normally justify spending a lot of money on. Sure. Like, for example, our team, we can never, never feel like we can justify bringing a creative agency on board for a pitch, for example. Um, and yet I know that their help is so valuable when it comes to um, coming up with a concept, you know, bringing that to life, how it might look further along down the line. And I mean, a creative agency when it's bidding for business might spend 20, 30,000 pounds just trying to win that business. Yeah. A charity could never do that because the donors would, you know, question where that money would go. Of course, yeah. And in terms of the quantifying that, the value of that, in-kind support. I think I think I'm right in saying that some charities already do this. They they actually put that into their accounts, so they've got a line of in-kind support, which essentially is shown as support as income. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, which is really good. Yeah. So again, it shows the value of all the work they're doing, ultimately for the beneficiaries of their their charity. Asher Simpson, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Thank you very much for inviting me. there you go dear listener that was Asher Simpson talking to me a little while ago about corporate fundraising and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Asher as much as we did here at Charity Chats I think he made a number of very interesting and thought-provoking points including how charities can work with companies to tap into lifestyle giving with corporate partners and harness that giving from people who wouldn't usually give to the charity as clearly a great deal of opportunity and the right corporate partnership for both the company and the charity. And that's great to see and hear about from Asher. And uh, thank you to Asher for, for these great insights on the topic. Um, off the air, he also spoke with me about reaching out to companies and also the implications on the General Data Protection Regulations, GDPR. So I direct you, if you're interested in this, to looking at our website, charitychat.org.uk, where we've got some links that are useful, including one from the Institute of Fundraising, their GDPR Spotlight on Corporate Fundraising, which details the process that charities need to go through in order to successfully and compliantly reach out to companies uh, being compliant with GDPR. So we also mentioned the investing in fundraising episode and that we did a little while ago. 
and uh, the Dan Pelota reference as well. And again, you can find information about that on our website, but it's certainly worth um, looking at because investment in fundraising is vital. And also we talked off air about uh, social enterprise and I think that might be a later episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. So uh, we hope that Ash will join us again for future shows. It's just left for me now to thank you, dear listener, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please let us know if you did or if you didn't. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, go to our website, charitychat.org.uk. It's also left for me just to thank our corporate sponsors. That's Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design, charitychat.org.uk. RRER Photography for the pro bono photographs that they provide for our website. And also Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out now. That's it from us. Thanks so much for listening and speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye.